0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering podcast produced by me Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights and we're also joined by our special guest today Susie Ballantyne and today we're discussing Harry and (laughs) Megan.
1: harry and megan well you don't have to be a royal watcher i suppose to have noticed that they were in the news recently because they kind of announced out of the blue that they were stepping back from from most of their duties as what are described as senior royals i yeah. don't really know what that means but i guess if you're you know <clears throat> if you're up there in the top 10 line line in the line to the throne that probably makes you a senior royal mm. um so the statement that they put out was very uh matter of fact, um, uh, but, but, actually, you know, in subsequent interviews and stuff the the, the rationale seems to be and it, and it's a completely understandable rationale to me, but the rationale is um that you know life as a royal mm. is a humongous strain, i think mm-hmm. you know and and I think it it seems that neither of them particularly are up for that kind of life, and you might think, well, you know, why should they be? It's not like he's gonna ever become king now, is it so barring some spectacular catastrophe so um yeah so basically uh they because they're they're stepping back because of you know because of the the fact that they can't really cope with having trying to have, do the things they want to do as a family and live their own lives and you know presumably set up their own businesses and you know do normal stuff and be a royal at the same time and cope with the pressure from the uh press and so on and, it, and it's obviously being a royal seems to be up there in the kind of high pressure jobs we don't normally think of it that way but it it must be right i mean i wouldn't want to do it mm. um i wouldn't be king for 100 pounds right <laughs> might do it for 110 yeah um so uh Anyway, this but this issue of sort of, uh, you know, resilience and uh, being able to, you know, being able to cope with your job. And and, and I think most people have uh, probably had times, whatever they're doing, where they thought, I can't I can't go on with this. And, you know, I've got to have a break or this is, you know, too stressful. Um and uh so i'm kind of interested in that i you know certainly affected me personally and it and it and it just so happens that uh susie who i've known for many years we were former colleagues at mod uh susie's a psychologist uh you has, has worked in defense um and uh is currently uh look as well as as well as um uh coaching she's also doing a phd in uh in in more or less this issue so i thought a perfect person to come on and we so that we can discuss you know what resilience is how you can get more of it if you can um you know what what seems to affect it and and stuff like that so yeah Perfect. Good. Um, so, Susie, we've we've had a little bit of an
0: introduction there from Nick. Um, mm. Just tell fill that out a little bit for us. Tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, and mm. maybe sort of the PhD a little bit more. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, um, I started out in defence and working as a psychologist um, in behavioural science, which covers all areas of sort of research and support. And uh, one thing that really struck me through my whole career there was. Uh, what happens to the people after conflict has happened? Uh And nobody really asks that question. The people who are sort of left behind and sort of left to sort of get on with things themselves, communities that have been broken apart. And that led me to a question about What then became resilience? But the question grew out of lots of concerns over post-conflict communities, people trying to forge a sense of what comes next. Mm. How do you um, cope day to day when you have no house, no job? Um, And actually, they weren't really questions necessarily that I think the government was looking at, but I think they were exactly the sort of questions that we perhaps should be thinking about. And. My work, I've always worked as a social psychologist, so um, there are many different flavours of psychology. Mm -hmm. Social psychologists are much more concerned with what makes us human because of the social world we live in. So we don't tend to be too much inside just the minds of the individual we look much more at the interaction between people and their surroundings uh-huh. and understand the psychology that happens between people because of relationships and because of because of our social world so for me i've always been interested in sort of taking that resilience question on and saying well what can we learn about resilience that goes beyond the idea that either some people have it some people don't um and my work has always been focused very much on things like social identity which is our sense of who we are because of the different social groups we belong to the different relationships we have our sort of membership in society Mm. and my research at sussex university is looking at refugees and their social identity and what that tells us about resilience so it's been quite an interesting journey um, because as a social psychologist I tend to work from the outside in I start with looking at the context and work towards the individual a lot of psychologists start from the inside and work out they start from the individual and look at all the influences that way okay
0: so um, uh, starting out with what might be just a really broad question um, how does I mean a couple of things that you said that the fact that you're a social psychologist Mm. and the second thinking about psychology from the aspect of someone I is not a question of whether someone has it or not yeah um can you talk to me a little bit about some well what the connection is there between building resilience let's say and the society that's around you or the community that you live in
2: yeah well it's probably useful just to sort of Say a couple of things about what it's not, because I think there's it, it's a, it's quite a controversial feel still. Because resilience is quite zeitgeisty, you know. Everyone's after it. Everybody wants a bit of it. Organizations want it in their organizations. People want it for themselves. Um, and actually, there's a tendency to look at it as something that people have or don't have.
3: Mm. You know, are
2: they resilient? Aren't they? And can we measure it? And there's been a lot of research, especially in sort of the U.S. Army, looking at are there personality traits that tell us that people will be resilient in certain situations. And actually, when you you know look at that research in a bit more detail, what you find is that it's not a thing; it's not something you either possess or don't have. It's more of a process, and it's something that happens between the person and the context they're in. Mm. So, what happens when, for example, and we see this a lot again, sort of drawing on experiences working defence, you see people who are very, very good in the line of fire. You might have an amazing uh, helicopter pilot who can go in and evacuate casualties and deal with you know high stress, high tempo environments. But when they go home and they're back into being the role as a mother and suddenly they're looking after their children and dealing with family life, it's really, really difficult. And they and they find they can't cope. So resilience isn't something that people always have. It's something that is dependent on the situations they're in. And I think as a social psychologist that makes it much more interesting. So what what what
1: aspects of your social environment seem to seem to have the biggest influence?
2: Well, so asking me as somebody who is an identity theorist i would say it's your identity so it's a sense of who you are at any one point in time that is going to shape how you perceive something happening so a lot of resilience comes uh, with traditionally it's seen as you know, how did you respond after that car crash that mugging that mm. job loss that grief um and actually what we tend to find is that it's often about how people perceive what's going on that determines how well they cope with it or not so a lot of it actually happens before the thing itself actually occurs so you know sometimes that's very difficult to say because if you're suddenly going to be held at knife point in the car park you can't necessarily prepare yourself for an event like that but you can prepare yourself for other events and the way in which we see them what we sort of call appraisal how we actually cognitively appraise the situation gives us the skills and the resources and the sort of self-awareness to deal with it or not so it's our sense of what's going on and what of what resources have I got to deal with it. So so
1: the it, yeah so it's interesting so it's not about um it, it's not just it's not like the same situation um is going to it's going to have a different impact on us because we behave differently but it's how we understand what that situation is in the first place yeah is it, so yeah. is it is it because <clears throat> so is it are there are there certain approaches or tools that someone is able cognitive tools that people mm-hmm. are able to bring to bear mm-hmm. in their understanding of a situation or is it actually more about other aspects of them so in other words like let's say if you're a if you're a high status individual Mm. i'd imagine you'd be less bothered about a mugging than if you're a low status individual uh, you know you, you would it would have less of an impact but of course you can't really affect that but it, so I'm just yeah. wondering to what extent yeah. you can affect it like how well, can the, you, so
2: it's interesting because there are sort of two two there's a two-way process going on one is how you see yourself as it's happening you know what and what skills you think you've got you know whether you've got the resources to deal with it so um, you know if you look at the research if you if something difficult happens in your life. If you can carry on with all the other things, if everything else continues, all the other sort of sense of who you are. So if you lose your job, but you've still got your house and your kids and your family relationships and your mates at the football club or whatever else, it's easier for you to cope with it. So there are certain things you can do, but it also depends on how other people see you. So if somebody says, well, you know, that woman got attacked because, you know, she was a woman she was asking for it because the way she dressed suddenly somebody else is framing who you were mm. and it changes that event from being something that you that just happened to being something that somebody else says was your fault and the impact the psychological impact of framing somebody's identity because in the ev- in an event happening can be really really powerful and in my research i look at it in terms of refugees because refugee is obviously one of those really powerful labels and it affects people how people see a situation but also so- you
1: have i mean refugees are almost perfect test cases for you um in that they are completely supplanted from presumably what yeah. was once probably quite a stable community mm. to a totally new one where all of their social identity has just been scrubbed out yeah and now they've got this you know and i and i so i yeah often one day i was in fact yesterday i was the guy who was um i got a cab and, and the guy who was was an algerian mechanical engineer who was a cabin i thought well you know mechanical engineer now he's saying you don't get paid very much as a mechanical engineer in algeria and he didn't like it there but um, but it did it did strike me that actually you know he's he's in a totally different place in the social hierarchy yeah yeah absolutely you know? yeah yeah you know not yeah. he's no he's not a mechanical engineer he's a cabbie yeah that and, must that, be and hard. that
2: that's hugely difficult because well two things one i think we have a perception that a lot of social identities are scrubbed so it's like mm. you're no you no longer the person you were in algeria or in syria or or you know south sudan or wherever you've come from and you're starting again that's a perception we have in the uk and in other countries actually it's not at all the perception many refugees have because they still say well do you know what i am still a maths professor and a dad and you know a french speaker or whatever it is that they they do but Society very r- rarely recognises those other things that make up that person. And mm. by doing that, it's really disempowering because what you end up doing is saying, you're a refugee, so you're going to deal with it like a refugee. And if you live your whole life being told you're a refugee and this is the, the, the sort of scope of resources at your disposal, there's not much there that you can do. And so it's it's a you lock them down a little bit. Peter?
3: Um, so you say that it's more of a process than yeah. a sort of set of inherent traits. Yeah. Um, but are there things that you can do to generally improve your psychological resilience? Yes. So I, mean, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I was in the army and a lot of our basic army training is about sort of generally toughening you up yeah. and making you a good team player, etc. Where that did it go re- wrong, Peter? I oh, know, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, yeah, well, that's why I left. That's why I got kicked out. Uh, so the, 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 um, but the, uh, is that sort of recognised and well studied? Yeah.
0: Bef- sorry, before you answer that, um, as a part of that, can you tell us what you mean by resilience? What is mm. the definition of being psychologically resilient?
2: Yeah, well, it's a sort of million dollar question, really. And psychologists are still sort of fighting over what it means. Some people deny it it's actually a thing. So a lot of psychologists will say well, it's not actually a thing. It's just a well, It's just like it's beha- there's
1: certain behaviours. Yeah. And we call some resilient and some yeah. not resilient. And
2: what, I think generally people say that there's... there's The contribution of lots of things come together to create resilience. Mm. Um, So personally, I think the best definition is that it's a process and it's a sort of dynamic process of what happens between a person or a group of people uh, and a situation. And it is important to look at that group of people because a lot of what researchers have learned about how people deal in emergency situations after terrorist attacks, about how instantly a group can become resilient Mm. is really interesting. So it's about what's happening in that moment between people being in a situation perceiving what's going on and making sense of it Mm -hmm. thinking does this relate to me so you know is am i in that threat here now or in the future and can i do anything about it and then the decisions and behaviors that then follow on from that so what we know is that you know individuals go through this appraisal process so you can help people with that in terms of your peter your question about you know appraisal and, and can you know can we do anything about it um, but actually we can see that quite a lot in groups in that you know people often take their cue from other people so they have what's called common fate you know you're in the london underground smoke starts filling up your carriage You're not necessarily thinking, do I personally have a a resilient personality? What you tend to do is you tend to go to a sort of shared identity and think, what's everyone else like me doing right now? What would be the best thing to do? Because we're all in this together and we all have to get through it. So you see some really powerful effects of what's called collective resilience happening. So it sort of overrides to your question, Peter, about, well, you know, do I have a resilient personality type? And people are still looking for that. Mm. There's a big market to be made in designing psychometrics around looking for, like, the mm. resilient personality. Mm. It's a very Western construct as well. So it's, you know, lots yeah. of people would like to look for it and select for it. Um, but the reality is, you know, you a person cannot be consistently resilient through their life. No, mm. but,
3: but you can believe... So it felt like when, when the, the, a lot of the army training, kind of command training, they present you with artificial but stressful situations where... You'll be in charge of a small team, and your job is to get over a gap with a sli- with a limited set of things while doing it quietly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the, the the doing the task wasn't the, the informative thing; it was always the debrief afterwards about mm. remind you know helping you uh, unpick. Ha- your thought process of what was going through your head at the time and reminding you that if you come across this sort of thing next time then there are other things you can do you can delegate and you can yeah. you can play to people's strengths and you can use the resources that you've got that you may have forgotten about yeah. and it gave you, they, and they and then you practice that again and try and implement those things but it was it was it felt much like CBT it was sort of yeah. when you're in this situation here's some cognitive yeah. tools that you can use to give yourself a prompt to make yourself feel empowered and uh, to remind yourself of your own strengths and the strengths of your team, et cetera, yeah. Um, That gave you a toolbox to, to that felt like it was make, make, making you more resilient in that kind of situation. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, and that's actually a much better approach, which is giving you the sort of skills and the self-awareness uh, to to be able to read a situation well. Mm. And, and have that sort of <laughs> meta thought of... How is my thinking influencing what I'm about to do? Mm. You know, and so if you're about to go into uh, an exam, or you're about to go and you know command a a, a troop of soldiers, whatever it is, thinking, okay, so what's happening now for me how am I approaching it so the approach path is really important because that whole expectation management at the outset of what's about to come will really sort of you know people stand or fall by their expectations. So what do you mean
1: by your approach like what does what does good look like what does doing it look like compared to doing it What's a resilient way of approaching. Yeah, it well, you, not you see that that again well, is a tricky question. Stop saying everything's a debate. Well, you've it is to, a you've debate. Got to, <laughs> got, to come, got to come down one Get side or the other. Bitch. I know. Yeah, yeah. This isn't. We're not. This isn't a viva for your. Uh, you know, for your PhD. It's you good can, practice you can give for it, Nick. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, well, because the, again, there's a political angle to this, which is whose yardstick of success are you using? Hmm. You know, so what what counts as a successful outcome? Um, you know. Critics uh, would argue, quite rightly, that you know if you want to create self sufficiency and resilience in societies, it basically says to people, you've got to be self reliant, you've got to have the skills, and so we don't have to worry so much about helping you. It's your fault you're failing. It's your fault you're not getting a job, and that allow you know because of your lack of resilience. Um, so it, it sort of begs the question: Well, what does what does a resilient outcome look like? And mm. I think that really comes down to a very the context in which you're operating, you know, it, it depends whether you are talking to a nine-year-old homeless kid about what resilience looks like for him when he's on the street day in day out, versus talking to a CEO about what resilience looks like when you're juggling, you know, seventy-two different demands and family and everything else. So is it is it easier no one to size point to all.
1: what not resilient looks like then? Because it seems yeah, like yeah yeah okay, we know that people are let's say they're getting on with it and it's getting yeah. and things are getting done. Um, uh, they might they might have all cu- god knows what's going on inside yeah. them yeah. they might be having a hard time with it but they are getting on with yeah. it versus what the opposite yeah. like, what what is not so,
2: resilient so i think like? i think one one good way of thinking about resilience i'll come to a bit about what it's not because that really does help clarify things i think but i do think it is worth mentioning resilience always has to be looked at in in parallel with well-being and um, well-being tends to be one of these words again where everyone's like oh well-being everyone's talking about well-being but fundamentally if you are not well physically or mentally you cannot parent well you cannot lead well you cannot command well you cannot do many things in life so being being well mentally and physically not being a superhero not being exceeding it some people talk about resilience as you know surviving and thriving it's not about constant growth and perfectionism if you are managing and you are well physically and mentally you know and and you have to use your own baseline for that really that you are able to build relationships and manage your day and feel generally in a good place then you're probably demonstrating resilience But that will depend on each person. And there'll be criteria, you know, in the the British Army, they're going to have their own criteria of what they're looking for as being able to, you know, can they still command? Can they still receive, you know, commands? Can they still operate a weapon? Can they still look out for their peers? You know, all these sorts of things. So it comes down, there are nuances. But fundamentally, resilience is about maintaining or enhancing well-being. It's not. Right. Does that help? Well, so, I mean,
1: in a way, it's sort of, it, it, it's well, what we're saying is that resilience is actually fundamentally is a, is an internally appraised thing that actually whether you're resilient fundamentally comes down to whether or not you are happy in the situation you're in yeah a lot of, of it co- yeah it comes down to yeah. that rather, rather, and rather, I think than, it's more... rather than different like exp- expressing itself in certain yeah, yeah. kinds of behavior like yeah. it's not that there are certain things <laughs> i don't think you can stick it's behavioral like, labels are you, on it are, almost like are, is this are you in a miserable situation yeah. it's
2: more a state of being that enables you to get on with your life i think yeah and whatever that is that you're trying to yeah, do doesn't it, it
0: go back to identity you're 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 able to continue with who you so, are and function yeah in the uh, way which that is why would. when
2: you look at it in a group context it's really important because there'll be differences between what you want to do as an individual you know how you want to live your life but it might be very different when you're operating under the kind of collective identity of being in the mm. british army or you know you're coping as a new parent that you know you actually have some sort of shared understanding of you know what does it mean to be to be basically doing okay as a parent or or a Mm. army officer or a soldier and so often we use that sort of sense of sort of collective um sort of objectives if you like to measure whether you know the group is resilient the team is resilient so in an organization if I work with an organization a lot of it is about well okay so what does what does things going well look like Mm. (laughs) you know how would you express it and get people to talk about you know what's a day like when actually things are working well
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's very I, I, subjective. I had to be honest; I hadn't really thought about how complex it is. I'm going to let you off a little bit for saying <laughs> that you that you're on it, because I I now I'm starting to think it's well actually yeah because issue. because you know there's a lot of environments that people would describe as toxic, yeah, but which nevertheless where things get done, and you might think well you know so it that, might yeah. be it might be that actually. You know, you wouldn't be able to get those outcomes were it not for the things that you know. In an ideal world, we wouldn't necessarily yeah. have. And 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 there, there's a kind of trade off there. But, it, but it's hard. It's not easy to say. Well, this is like straight up bad. Now, it might be really stressful people, and they might be miserable. Yeah. But on the flip side, things are getting done, and yeah. they might not be getting done if they're all so, happy. Yeah. You know, no,
2: absolutely. It's, it is, it's not. It's not so straightforward. I think what is an important distinction to make is between resilience. Uh, Recovery and resistance. people because sometimes, and you see this, you see this in organizations a sort of a leader might be thought of as being resilient because they get stuff done and they and nothing seems to to touch them. you know, they're like Teflon, they just mm. they just get through a situation because they're resisting the stress you'll probably find that their well-being mentally and physically is taking a hit. And probably collectively, the team is probably taking a hit. They might still be keeping their profits high. They might still be impressing Mm, the board. But it's not sustainable. But it's not sustainable. And Mm. so, you know, and this is a problem we have in the West. When we think that people are successful and are coping, these are things that are not resilient because... If you're coping through gritted teeth just to get through the day and you're hitting, you know, a bottle of wine a night just to sort of make it all the pain go away or whatever it is, that that might have got you through the difficult day. But that's not going to set you up very well in the long term or dealing with the mm. next issue. There's nothing there that that's not good for your well-being mentally or physically. And it's not good for the well-being of the people around you, family, yeah, colleagues, everybody else. So engineer, coping, an resistance. And you would say the system
3: is sort of critical. It's the point of breaking.
2: Exactly. And, and, uh, but a lot, I mean, a lot of people do function at that level mm. and they think that they are still succeeding but I think increasingly we would argue that our measure of success should actually be a lot more around people's mental yeah, and physical well-being. in mean, that yeah, I'm
1: the- I'm going to push on this a little bit.
2: Not because I,
1: I, mean, I hate bloody hate toxic work environments. And I <laughs> and I, one of the reasons that I'm so happy having left the MOD is because I have control you over. Can create and his own toxic. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my own one-man toxic environment. But um, but I I sort of wonder unless you can prove that it's worse like for for you as an outcome yeah um who are you to say that you know the person who they want to they just want to get ahead in life they working 18 hour days at the weekend they go out and drink a bottle of vodka and then on monday they're back in work um now i wouldn't want to have to live like that uh but is that bad is that bad for that person i would argue what in what sense is it bad if it's achieving (laughs) the goals that they or are you saying that they probably mistaken about what their goals are or...
2: Yeah, well, I, I would ask... Sounds a
1: bit paternalist, that's all. Yeah. Once you've answered this, I want us to come back to Peter and... Sure. Yeah, so yeah. please
0: go ahead. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, it can be a little bit because it can be a bit like, you know, are you taking care of yourself? Mm. Are you looking after yourself? And, you know person has a right to live their life as they want to but we have a tendency to assume that people who live their, their life like that do so in isolation from everyone else and what we know is that sort of behavior even if they think well this isn't causing any ripples anywhere else will be because mm. fundamentally if somebody is living their life like that they're going to miss the decimal point on the sales transaction they're going to snap at a colleague yeah. they're not going to get the sleep so they're not making the best decisions that they well, can they possibly have, make a terrible home life and yeah, home life. yeah. I mean, as you were
0: describing that person you know i just sort of working around that person it would be horrible it would be awful for everyone yeah uh peter uh,
3: it, it, it just struck me when i was doing a bit of reading and i was reading about the factors that sort of help develop and sustain resilience and things like making realistic plans and being able to take steps necessary to complete them mm. uh confidence in one's own strengths and well confidence and awareness of one's own strengths and abilities mm-hmm. uh, sort of communication problem solving skills mm-hmm. uh and the fourth one I saw was ability to manage sort of impulses and emotions and feelings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not not like suppress them, but yeah, manage yeah. them. Yeah. They seem really analogous to the things that bring it back to analysis and decision making qualities that we would expect to see in good analysts. Yeah, it's about sort of rational, methodical thought. Uh, it's about uh, a, a good linear understanding of the world mm-hmm. and a, an ability to sort of update your understanding based on new information. They yeah. feel like they're two sides of the same yeah. brain yeah
2: um well it's a, it's a very cognitive and emotional process resilience because you're appraising a situation mm. and you know certainly you you know, as we now know, it's our emotional response to something that happens first and then we think about it. We used to think it was the other way around that we take in information, and we have an emotional response to it. We don't. So increasingly, we've realized that our emotional response to situations and emotional intelligence is fundamental. And you would, I haven't seen the research, so I can quote it, but there's probably a correlation between emotional intelligence and resilience. Mm however you want to measure it, because I think if you can manage the... Because the moment you feel something, you start to think something. So going back to your thing about CBT, mm. you know, so in a situation, uh, in our, you know, I lived for, in South America for a number of years, and I kept preparing myself for that moment where someone puts a gun up against the window of your car with your kids in the backseat and thinking, I've got to really think about how I'm going to feel about that so that the thoughts that then come off the back of it are ones that get yeah. us out of that situation. And so you're right. A lot of that sort of preparing yourself mentally thinking through what your options are um thinking through what's available to you so you know I have to think of myself as do I think of myself as a a woman and a mother in that situation well yes because my instincts are about protecting my children but I don't think about myself as a woman in the sense of like poor me I'm not going to be able to cope because this man's pointing a gun at me I have to think about it in a different way so
3: your mental preparation for that scenario wasn't just like right, this is what I will do, I'll accelerate and turn left and get to yeah. safety. No, it also includes, like, in that moment when that happens, yeah. what what are the sorts of things that are going to go through my head, what are the conflicting requirements and desires, yeah. and kind of, pre you know, ahead of time, choosing how to react yeah. emotionally. Yeah, through. you
2: are priming yourself mm. for those mm. events, and I think if you can prime yourself in that way, you, you introduce a set of scripts and beliefs about who you are and what you can do, which accelerates your ability to make better yeah. decisions in the event. Because
3: the I mean, human brain is brilliant at sort of simulating the world, isn't it? Yeah, kind absolutely. Of how we go about but we are, you could argue our whole world is a simulation yeah, is, anyway. Yeah, so, so then that's what <laughs> what, what we we're doing class. there is you're, is you're kind of rehearsing it ahead yeah. of time, but and not just the actions, but preparing um, emotionally and
1: psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it's it's it, yeah, no, it's interesting when you because I I just think you know one of the one of the uh, ways that I feel like I'm. Um, getting wiser as i get older is that i'm i don't think i'm any less good at um uh uh, anticipating how i'm going to respond to situations i'm always way too optimistic about my um you know my my ability to kind of stand up to you know stressful situations and stuff but i've learned that i'm way too optimistic you know (laughs) and i think that that is helpful so Mm -hmm. I you know and i so for example um i i have very weird sleep patterns and um you know and i always think well you know i've got that workshop to run tomorrow i can i can i'll carry on working i'll get this thing done and then i'll feel better and tomorrow everything will be fine um and then of course tomorrow everything seems horrifically stressful because i haven't had any sleep and that's mm. just a huge deter well i I think now i i sort of understand that you know I, mm. I know i i sort of think i can cope some bit of my brain says you'll be able to cope but the more rational bit get says no actually it's probably a good idea if you get some sleep yeah and i and um yeah i mean so i i think i'm probably bad intuitively but i've had to aim off for that well you know yeah i think
2: well two things you bring up there one is reflecting on what happened last time so you know point peter made that you know going back and doing the lessons learned is really important like could you know did it work out well yes it did that's probably the biggest driver of your behavior the fact you probably are you have despite the odds of your lack of sleep probably successful pulled it off pulled it off as usual and so until it goes badly <laughs> wrong for you one day you probably f- will find that it you will just keep Uh-oh. creating it because we're yeah. ha- we're you know creatures of habit we do the same thing but you know part and I do this in my coaching is partly to go back to say to people like okay so let's reflect on the lead up to this event you know what was who were you what were you thinking how did you anticipate the outcomes because that sort of approach even if you don't have time to do the approach stuff beforehand because it happens out of the blue if you go back and do a reapproach, okay, so let's look at this again, let's reappraise what happened, let's look at all the different things. You can learn a lot from that, but you have to take the time to do it. And if you're moving at 100 miles an hour and you're doing lots of different things, people often don't have the time to stop and, and actually look at it. I,
1: also, I do, I have a, sorry, Fraser.
0: No, what I was going to say also, isn't it, that uh, as you sort of get older, Um, and you might have many, many times where you have your one, two hours sleep and you pull it off, but actually something you start to notice is you start to get run a bit ragged in life. Mm. And it's that sort of, so it's not just about the, the experience in itself, it's the sort of the wider sense of it. and that yeah that wider sense of experience yeah on the other hand from. as you
1: get older i feel like you have more um uh, and you've got more more experience in the bank to bring to bear to mm. new situations and, mm-hmm. you know if you think of something i guess something that a lot of people find really stressful which is public speaking and i've done it so much now that even though i still get stressed about it it's really not it's completely manageable stress yeah it's like I, I notice it. I sort of think oh, I'm really stressed. Oh, it's because I've got that thing tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't sit there bothering me. Yeah. You know, because I've done it so many times. Well, I
2: I would argue in that situation that's because you've got a pretty strong identity as a good public speaker. Like in that role, when they're the Does audience listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, the audience. You know, you there's a relationship set up there. You're the speaker. They're the audience. There's a social identity. I'm the speaker. And if you enjoy that and you do well and you Perform well in that role with that identity that can carry you through.
0: So um I do want to sort of draw okay, things but to I, I don't have a question that no, will absolutely <laughs> you you are allowed to have your question. Um but let us be mindful yeah, of that yeah.
3: as soon as I want to wrap this up.
0: Okay. Um but I want to hear from Peter first.
3: Uh yeah, very briefly, you, you mentioned that it's uh an important factor is the framing and how you see yourself mm-hmm. and how others perhaps impose an image on you so are there practical guidelines that are given to for example the police and ambulance service for when they are the first responders on Mm. a particularly stressful situation Mm. like i can imagine if you're if you're dealing you're you're presented with a potential rape victim Mm. how you go about conducting yourself with Mm. that person will put them in a particular mindset which will either help or hinder their psychological recovery yeah are there such guidelines
2: so i i would hope so <laughs> i certainly know that there's there's work going on with the emergency services and um, some really good research at sussex that looks at helping the emergency services understand how some of these group dynamics Um, unfold and what what the police what the you know ambulance paramedics can do to get the best out of those dynamics. Whether they're given that sort of training as Mm -hmm. they're going through I'm not sure but it's a you know that's exactly what they should be doing because yeah and I think in the context I look at it in terms of working with refugees part of the recommendations I'll be making is you know how when people are working with refugees as volunteers as humanitarians as members of UNHCR how does their positioning of themselves to the refugee create these different mm. scripts these different expectations you know if they refer to them as you know there's that Muslim refugee instantly that person is yeah. framed and that changes I their feelings referring and thoughts
3: absolutely yeah
2: it introduces all this perception and then that perception changes how people appraise a situation they're in or have been in and then that makes that has an impact on their well-being so it's not just about how we think about ourselves and those around us but if we're dealing with people how are we positioning them and their identity because we are influencing the way that they see the world in the way that we interact with them Mm. and that's incredibly powerful and can be incredibly damaging Right on both sides yeah Uh, Yeah, so uh,
1: while we're on the we're sort of zooming in a bit on you know Practical advice. Yeah. Um. I, I suppose it'd be one thing that I think I I'm probably not very good at noticing at the time, but which I don't know if there is any kind of research about it. But are there things that you or other people can reliably look for when you can say actually that you know indicators of fragility where your resilience might be at breaking point? Mm. Um. Sort of what, flags what are those things, things. You mean? Like, are, are there things that you are? Are there sort of red lights which we mm. should look for, mm. which we might not be otherwise aware of? I mean, what I suppose what I'm saying is, if you look at people where it has gone, where who who mm. who've, who've you know in some way you know whose resilience has has broken what is it what are the first things to go at what point should they have started doing something about yeah. it?
2: yeah well I think when you see it you tend to see it in their well-being so you tend to see it in their mental and physical health and I think you know bringing this right back to how you introduced it with Harry and Megan the reason that they were talking a lot about their mental health is because the events that they were coming up against time and time again and the way in which the press and the sort of public discourse was positioning them was having an impact on their on their well-being and they took the decision to claim that ground back in order to be able presumably to live a life where they could function physically and mm. mentally with their kids and, and everything else so I think you know being really aware of what's going on in people's lives you know if they're constantly getting ill and if they're snapping at their staff and if they're mm. you know if they're just not communicating or they're making mm. poor decisions you know there's somebody who is slightly unravelling if they're and it's, you know people become isolated from the people that they normally you know interact with so which is why you know sort of loneliness and isolation is a big societal question because we really rely on those people around us to be part of our resilience you know those groups provide us with resource with information with social support which is really important and
3: and normalization as well
2: absolutely we get our social norms from those groups they tell us how you know they're the handrails that tell us what to do and how to think in different situations so if we're not using those groups or those handrails aren't available to us people become very vulnerable very quickly so in the case of refugees as you said if you've upsticked from Aleppo and moved to You know, Southeast England, there aren't many familiar handrails there, you know, to help you anchor yourself back down and think, okay, I get what's going on here. And now I can think about getting a job and learn a language. And yet we still kind of think, God, I haven't learned a language yet. You know, why aren't they integrating? Why aren't they going? Mm. It's like, okay, you go park yourself in Aleppo with none of your social identification Mm. cues and see how you get on you know yeah. our resilience relies on us being able to interact with that environment yeah
0: um so um before we wrap up is
1: there anything anyone any any of you would like to say yeah just to, i mean we might look at harry and Meghan and think that's that's sort of very much first top tier of first world problems right <laughs> um but i mean uh i guess you know is it harder is it harder to be harry and Meghan or a refugee or is it you know, everyone is fighting the same sorts of battles deep down mm. and, and actually it does it's 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 a meaningful comparison. Like should we have as much sympathy for Harry and Meghan or is is that am I already <laughs> yeah. approaching it from <laughs> the wrong angle? Well, I think
2: I mean the moment that we start looking for sort of universal measures of Everyone should feel happy when they are feeling X or when they are demonstrating Y. We're in dangerous territory because you can't do it unless you look at the unique circumstances for each person. So you cannot compare, you know, a homeless woman on the streets of London with Meghan. I mean, we'd look at, oh, but Meghan's so privileged and has so many opportunities. But within the context of what is it that enables her to live her life, her her yardsticks her metrics are really different and you can only really look at someone's resilience within that context it doesn't make sense to try and apply one set of measurements onto somebody else especially across different cultures um and certainly that's what i found in doing my research at sussex that you you have to really understand the social world in which these people live to get a handle on what resilience looks mm-hmm. like and you can't i couldn't then take that and tell you you know on, on a scale of zero to ten how well harry and megan are doing my scale just would not makes sense you would have to a Typical social
3: social. I know exactly you Can't make a generalist model I know
2: exactly thing. Turns out we're like all a special, quite different and influenced a special, by social special,
1: model, special studies have been done on on people who are like second in line to the throne and, uh, <laughs> and we've discovered all the indicators of stress if you're, uh, if you're a prince you're well, never going to be careful. The other
2: thing is the situation changes constantly I mean you know the world that Harry grew up in and the world we're in now and the relationships he's formed and the fact he's become a dad his social world is totally different it'll mm. be totally different again when he's got teenage kids you know when he's living in Canada you know the context has changed the moment the context changes as a very famous uh researcher called Rutter once said resilience changes
0: um so just before uh just before we uh, wrap up there is one thing I often ask our guests who come to us um so Susie you're a social psychologist um if you weren't a social psychologist what would you be
2: oh that's a good question do you know I've you're this is I was thinking about this any other day having a conversation with my children about futures and things I would like to be uh Hang on, I have to get the title of this right. A theoretical particle physicist. What? Yeah. Do you know? I would because I, one thing I find very <laughs> like similar to social really society. similar no. crossover. Yeah. There. Do you know? I'm a. <laughs> I think what I what I've discovered is I really find how things are constructed really interesting. And I think the more I read into it, and I realise that actually, when you start looking at what makes things up, it's not quite the reality you think the, it is. The, that the, actually there aren't as many measurable truths in this world as you think the, there are.
3: The, there is a fundamental similarity between those two disciplines though and that's a lot of it is untestable and yeah, very I unfalsifiable do, yeah. if you
2: were to do a Myers-Briggs on me I'm very intuitive I like thinking in that bigger picture which is why I'd be a theoretical particle physicist not yeah. an experimental particle <laughs> physicist I mean there, there's a promise that
3: theoretical physics becomes testable with bigger yes, colliders and all exactly. sorts of other things exactly. you've massively veered into a different podcast you <laughs> <Right, thing. so laughs> <it> just <laughs>
1: crashed through some
3: kind of wormhole <laughs> <into a different,
1: laughs> yeah, uh, yeah 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 okay from neurons to neutrons Just wanted to point. <laughs> well that's a really interesting answer
0: yeah yeah um okay well look on that note um we'll we'll wrap up so thank you um as always to listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast I'm Fraser McGrew he, we've been here with Peter Cockle and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights uh, but a special thanks to our our special guest this week to Susie Valentine thank you very much very mm-hmm. much for joining us um but thanks to one and all and until next time goodbye